Lily, you may think that as a freelancer, a job site would not be for you. Yeah, but I've just been having a look on Cision Jobs. And actually on that website, you can search for freelance and part-time opportunities. And you can also select for homeworking. Oh yeah, the search lets you look within PR or journalism jobs and then by sector, salary, job title and hours. Yeah, there's loads on there. So go and have a look. It's scissionjobs.co.uk. Hello and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists. I'm Emma Wilkinson. And I'm Lily Cantor. In this series of the podcast, we're doing something a bit different and we're talking to journalists about their experience of writing books. For our Summer Read special, we'll be asking how you get a book deal, what the writing process is like and all the other practicalities of writing, whether it's fiction or non-fiction. So if you've ever wanted to know more about how you move into writing books as a journalist, as well as picking up some handy tips, then keep listening. So today we're speaking to Lisa Bradley, the author of two psychological thrillers, Paper Dolls and The Lesson. So Lisa's a very good friend of ours. We've um, known her for 20 years as we did our MA together, all, all three of us, our MA in journalism. So Lisa, after the MA, went to work in local newspapers at the Wakefield Express, and she also worked as a freelance journalist for national papers and magazines. She's currently Deputy Head of Department of Journalism at the University of Sheffield. Hello, Lisa. Hi. (laughs) It's so nice to have you on the podcast and nice to catch up as well. Um, we're going to unpick how you ended up writing Paper Dolls and The Lesson. But before we started that, is writing novels, writing fiction, something you'd always wanted to do? Because it's quite, it's obviously quite different from journalism. Did you have to do any sort of courses or training on creative writing? I did. Um, yes, it is something I'd always wanted to do. But then journalism just totally took over. I was always a creative writer throughout school. And I was like president of the creative writing club, like a geek. And then uh, once I became a journalist, you spend so much time during your day writing that it's the last thing that you want to do when you come home at night. So I think I kind of fell out of love with it. And then it was about, I think it was about five years ago, six years ago, I realised how much I really missed it. And I applied to do a Curtis Brown course. Um, And these courses are amazing. So they're run by Curtis Brown, obviously, who are a leading uh, international literary agency. And I applied to do their writing for children and young adults course. Um, I loved it. It was absolutely brilliant. It taught me so much, pretty much everything I needed to know about how to get into the publishing industry. And it was just a three month short course. You can do longer or shorter ones. And after I did that course, um, I was ready to finish my first book and start submitting to agents, which was the scariest process. So tell us about that, because I know that it took you quite a while, didn't it? You were really persistent, kept kind of plugging away. (laughs) You could call me that, yeah. Um, Yeah, so what happened was the first book that I wrote was actually a children's book, well, a young adult book, which was a retelling of Tess of the D'Urbervilles. And I think I had a bit of false sense of security with that one, because it was the book that I wrote while I was on the course. And then when we started submitting to agents, I was so lucky because I got eight offers of representation. And it's really hard just to even get one agent to to offer to to look after you. So I was I was convinced that I would get a deal off this book because I thought 
it had so much attention. Um, Curtis Brown themselves offered to represent me. And I settled on Joe, who is still my lovely agent, Anthony Howard. And uh, but the, the book deal for that book never actually transpired. And uh, I was gutted after coming that far. Uh, but I knew that you know, I was I was so happy and so delighted that I'd got an agent that I felt that she really believed in me. And so I continued again. And then I wrote another two failed children's books until in the end, Joe said to me, you know what? I think you're a bit dark for children. <laughs> Maybe you should have a go at writing adults which I did. And so I did write for adults and the first adult book I wrote sold. Um, and I got three offers from publishers for that one. So that was amazing. So I was clearly just writing in the wrong genre the entire time. Um, so from getting my agent to getting my first book deal, I think it took two and a half years. And I wrote four books in that time. I'm very tired. Yeah. So the Paper Dolls was your first um, and then followed by The Lesson. And these are both kind of psychological thrillers um I've read both of them I hoovered them up they're really good kind of reads and there's a lot of suspense um but obviously there's plot twists as you're going along as well it's kind of you really got to hook people in how different was it writing kind of that style did you have to kind of learn how to do that compared with sort of the children young adult stuff you'd been doing before no, I still think, I mean, there's a lot of people that say that every every book, no matter whether it's children, young adult, horror, thriller, romance, that there is a set formula. Um, I don't believe that that's true. I don't have a formula for any of the books um, and I'm not a plotter either. So I've got lots of friends that um, are publishing deals that plot the story from start to finish. They know chapter by chapter what is going to happen in it. Um, that's all done before they even type the first word. I if I did that, I wouldn't even start writing the book. I'd be so bored of it. So when I did start with Paper Dolls, I had a rough idea and a rough outline of what I wanted to happen. And I did have an idea of what the main twist was going to be. But other than that, I just get on with it. But that's the kind of learner that I am. I'm a doer rather than a look and thinker. So I just rather I learn by doing. And so I think actually writing the children's books were great for me because it did show me the importance of pace, especially the importance of character development, the show not tell, the thinking about what your main character wants and what they need and why they differ and, and all that side of it. That was really good in terms of developing and giving my story multi-layers. But in terms of plot, no, I just, I like to, <laughs> sounds a bit wrong, I like to excite myself as I'm going, so I like to surprise myself and I like to give my characters their own agency to make their own decisions almost as we're going along. So actually writing my book is a bit like writing a choose your own adventure book. I don't really know what's going to happen next either. <laughs> Did you know your ending though? Do you no. at least have that? That's no. so fascinating. I, I don't have know. an idea of the twist, but not the actual ending. And when I did Paper Dolls, the, um, no spoilers, but the, the villain in Paper Dolls was not the villain um, that was at the start. I completely changed my mind halfway through about who that was going to be um just because I really liked the character that the villain originally was and I didn't want to do it I didn't want to do that to them so <laughs> I completely changed it that's really interesting because we've spoken to some authors in this series who have so regimented like they've mapped oh, everything yeah. out and the fact that you're kind of doing it to go along in fact I seem to remember a bit of a drunken night at yours when you had your leg really? cast or something and you were asking <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> about the plot and we all came up with some solution for some yeah. gap in the plot. 
Um, yeah, absolutely. That was that was paper dolls because that's how I actually managed to get that written so quick was because I had my leg in a cast and I had nothing to do. It was all very <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock. So I was sat on the sofa with my leg up for six weeks and I, I, re- I wrote about 60,000, 70,000 words in six weeks because I was off work and I was, you know, all over the place on painkillers <laughs> and medication. So I couldn't really work at all. Um, and yeah, I remember you guys came over to see me and there was... Uh, I can't remember what the plot hole was now. No, I can't. My space, I can't remember. But and it was a flashback thing we needed to to fill. So yeah, and I also don't let plot holes deter me because otherwise you can just spend hours and hours agonizing over a plot hole and just you just just write it. Just keep on writing. You can go back and fix your plot hole later. And um, there's nothing worse than just stopping and worrying about every tiny little detail because you know they'll they'll you'll line it out. You'll fix it later. And does that come out in the editing process? Because I know when we spoke to Simon, she was saying, like, her, with her book, The Khan, um, there was a lot of input from her editor and they would, like, check it all. What was the process for you in the editing? Uh, you know, it was that was the biggest learning experience ever, having a proper editor. It was amazing. They didn't change any of the plot or anything like that. There was a few things where they sort of pointed out inconsistencies or how could that have happened when this has happened? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Um, but what they did do were things like the timelines, you know, at one day I'd talked about it being sunny and then the next day I'd said it was December. You know, there were things like that, that they're really, really good. And they've got eagle eyes for making sure that your world building makes loads of sense. And they were really good as well as being quite objective with looking at some of the characters dialogue and saying this jar it just doesn't sound like something that he or she would say. Um, just the speech pattern or the the syntax or something like that just wasn't in fitting with the rest of the characters. So that's the editing process was amazing there because you get so attached to your own words and you get so attached to your own characters and you know the phrases you've got to learn how to kill your darlings. Um, and the only person that's going to teach you how to do that is an editor because they are brutal. And some of the some of the scenes that I loved the most that I was so proud of. They were like, yeah, they're lovely, but they're not adding anything to the books. They're coming out and it was horrendous. And you'd cry as you deleted 5,000 words. But, um, but you know, you've got to just trust the process and trust them because this is what they're brilliant at. But yeah, in terms of the actual plot twists themselves, apart from they wanted me to add a few more scary moments, everything pretty much stayed the same. Um, when I did the lesson in particular, they, um, the synopsis that I've submitted, and I'm sure we'll talk more about the process about the publishing deal later, but the synopsis that I'd submitted to them when they read the book, they're like, this is not the synopsis that you submitted to us. I'm like, yeah, I know, I went a bit rogue. And they're like, no, it's okay, we love it, thank God. Um, so I completely surprised them as well because, yeah, the way that that book was going to go was entirely different. Does, in that process, maybe when you're starting, first coming up with an idea or kind of coming up with that synopsis, does how much involvement does your agent have in that? Are you bouncing ideas off them and thinking, or is it just like completely, you know, um, I mean, they're, they're coming later? Totally, so it depends on the relationship you have with your agent. I'm, I've got a great relationship with Joe, and every time I have an idea, like one that I really like, before I'll start a synopsis, we'll have a chat over the phone and bounce some ideas back and forth. But she tends to just leave me alone, really, to roll with it. And then once I've got a more fleshed out idea and then give her a full written synopsis, at that point, she'll come back and say, yeah, that sounds good. A bit worried about how that's going to come across. Have you thought about this? Um, but it's more tweaks than it is in terms of the um, rather than a collaboration. It's sort of more mentoring, I'd say. And you mentioned you wrote Paper Dolls whilst 
you were off work because your foot was in the cast but but the lesson how did you manage to fit that in whilst you were teaching which must have been a bit surreal if you were writing this book you know set in a university and doing it at the same time yeah constantly thought I was going to get fired when that was published Um, because it's obviously lots drawn on real life experience even though it's fiction it's inspired by um yeah you know what it was it was an immersive experience um when you are teaching and you're working in that context and then you're writing about it in in quite a negative way I'd say in terms of the lesson as well it was hard that it didn't the book didn't impact on my actual day-to-day sort of teaching and frustrations but um hopefully I got the balance right in terms of timing though it's it's hard work especially you know when you've got children as well to work all day deal with your kids write in the evening deal with the kids some more catch up on the work that you haven't done during the day because you have to go to sports day or something like that you know it is a bit all-encompassing um but hey, we're all journalists. We've never missed a deadline. But there has been a lot of writing on the side of football pitches and, you know, swimming pool, changing rooms, things like that. Um, I've never been able to just sit down and say, right, it's my writing time now. Leave me alone. So that's never going to happen in my house. Um, so instead, it is just where I can. So I've always got my laptop with me somewhere. The amount of writing I've done in the front seat of my car in various car parks, waiting for various sporting practices to finish. Um, which isn't the best for the flow for the creative flow but needs must yeah I was going to say do you find it how do you find it kind of dipping in and out like that because some authors will say that you know they need like a whole day's run at it to kind of really get into it but like if you know if I was ever going to do this it would have to be in like little bits and bobs here and there because that's the only time I've got so how do you how do you kind of keep the momentum going I mean, I can't imagine anything worse than doing a full day like that. I'd be bored. I have zero attention span. I need a new activity every 20 minutes. I'm not, I just can't sit and focus for that amount of time. And actually, I think my writing would be worse because it'd become a chore. And it, you know what I mean? It, it'd be dull for me. I work, my brain works better in little fits and starts. I'd rather just write for an hour here and there. I do have issues with continuity when that happens because by the time I've picked it up, I can't quite remember what I've said. So I have to then reread what I've done. So I suppose it is a longer process in terms of, of the timings. But I, I write very, very quickly if I can do it in short, sharp bursts. So I can I can knock out 2,000 words in an hour. Um, if you gave me all day, I'd probably only still write 3,000 words. You know, because I'd just make copies and I'd potter around and I'd think, well, I've got all day. So, you know, I don't, I don't need to do it that quick. Whereas if you're on a deadline, you'll just, you'll whack it out. I'm sure you guys know that. <laughs> yeah, I can't work unless there's a deadline. I could never be like a project manager or something where there's a massive thing. I mean, even when we wrote our book, we had we set ourselves mini deadlines. Staggered we deadlines, yeah. I do do that. Did. I do. In all fairness, I, yeah, I do set myself staggered deadlines as well. So I normally, when I wrote the lesson, I aimed for five thousand words a week. Do you write it in order, like from yeah. you know start to finish? Yeah. You don't. Like jump around no because I don't know what's going to happen so I can't <laughs> but I tell you what I will do is that if I'm writing a scene and I'm like oh I'm bored of this scene it's boring I'm going to write something else then I'll, I will skip ahead maybe a chapter or so if I've got an idea for the next chapter in my head because that one's boring me if I, I do have a tendency to get bored quite easily as you girls know um so if if the chapter or whatever I'm writing is boring me it's going to be boring the reader as well so I either just kill it completely or I'll leave it and go back to it when I'm in a better mindset and make it better. 
Um, but if I just carried on writing through the dull bits, then I think again it'd put me off and would stop writing the entire thing. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, no, I yeah. don't jump, I don't jump around, but I sometimes do think I'll come back to it back later and I'll yeah, come, yeah, yeah. Cribble. I'll come yeah. back to that bit later. Yeah, um, and write something that I'm actually feeling inspired to do at that point. I mean, one thing that struck me, well, with both books, but I suppose particularly Paper Dolls, because that was the first one, was I could recognise quite a lot of the, not necessarily like a whole character, but like <laughs> character, character traits. Um, and, and in the lesson as well, there's one I had a moment's panic and thought, God, that sounds a bit like me. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's deliberate or not, but... I think you obviously draw on people yeah, and their, like say, their interests and traits and everything. Um, I mean, how much of that do you do you do? I mean, some of the even like some of the conversations I could oh, yeah. like, imagine you having with people. Absolutely. And, and your dog seemed to be in it as well before yeah. you had the dog. And yeah. I manifested the pug. Um yeah, so the interesting thing about basing characters on real people is that whoever you, any of your friends or anything like that, whenever they read your book, they find the most funny, witty, colourful character and assume it's based on them. No one ever assumes the bad people or the wankers or the twats or the bitches are based on them, ever. <laughs> um, but look, we've all got shades of grey, haven't we? And I think that, yeah, of course, I do draw on people that I know, but I've never based a character in a book on the entire character of someone I know they're all just little bits of, of personality traits that are sort of sewed together a bit like Frankenstein um but yeah of course it all, all writing comes from somewhere doesn't it and in terms of stories and dialogue in particular I do love dialogue like I love conversations I love listening to people on the bus I love just you know conversations with friends I love the pace. I love the the differences between the way we use words. I, I just, yeah, and, and they stay with me as well. So although I, I'm not the sort of person that has a notebook that writes down bits of dialogue as she hears it, because that's very tedious and, you know, oh, sorry, barking dog. That's the mood. Um, sorry, I forgot what I was uh, saying. I was just not- how much of yourself do you bring into mm-hmm. it? Because both characters could arguably be in a situation that you've been in. So in uh, Paper Dolls, it's um, a journalist who's kind yeah. of looking back over something that happened in her early career. And then in the lesson as well, a t- a journalism lecturer. Uh, so, yeah, how much of yourself do you bring into it, do you think? Not my own personality, I hope. <laughs> my God, especially in the lesson, but still... Um, not my personality, but certainly some of my emotional experiences I've brought into it and thought about how different people would have handled that situation. A lot of people said that the character of Leah in Paper Dolls was just like me, but I find that really hard when people read it. I don't think she's anything like me. Some of the her relationship with her son is very similar to the relationship I have with my son, but that's something that I drew in, a relationship that I had that I could then apply to her. Um, but in terms of her emotional responses in terms of um, her relationships that she has with men, in terms of the way that she thinks about herself. I I don't think that that was me at all, but I do find it really interesting that everyone else seems to think it is. Um, But I think whatever protagonist you write, you're always going to love your protagonist because you wouldn't be able to get so invested in them for the six-month writing period and be so in their head if you didn't like them. 
So, you know, there always a creation, whether it's an idol or a demon, I think, of someone that you find really, really interesting. And I suppose it's just within our ego, isn't it, that there might be little bits of yourself in there too. Yeah. So have your kids read, read either of them? No, no, they don't care. Well, that's, that's what I was wondering. <laughs> kids normally don't care, do they? Uh, <laughs> absolutely what, not. And I mean, with both of them, there was a lot of promotion, particularly with Paper Dolls. It was sort of yeah. a lot of summer reads lists in magazines and newspapers yeah yeah um I mean how important is that side of it particularly for your first novel well important it's very important to your publisher <laughs> because it's all about your sales I think that um someone said to me that the publishers will always invest a lot of publicity into a debut book because you only get a chance to debut once so um, it's no one knows who you are. You're not going to have a readership. You're not going to have people that will automatically buy your book. It's all done on the cover alone. So it ha- you really have to throw all your publicity sort of budget and tricks and all of that into, into book number one. Um, yeah, I mean, Paper Doll sold well. It did well on Amazon in terms of reviews. That will have been because of the publicity, um, I'm sure. I think that um, in terms of establishing yourself, then obviously the more publicity you get, the more sales you're going to get and the more your publishers are going to want to keep hold of you because you're commercial. <laughs> um, but then equally, you know, some of my friends' books that I've read that, that didn't get even a fraction of the publicity I was lucky enough to get are absolutely incredible books. So I don't necessarily think that it's any reflection on how good the book is. I just think it is how commercial it is and how easy it is to sell. I do know that when your book goes to acquisitions with a publisher. It's not just about the book. It's like, yeah, this book's great, but how do we sell it? What's the tagline? What's the marketing behind it? Because unless they've got a solid business plan to be able to get that book on shelves or on Kindles or whatever with a sell, then they won't publish it. Even if it's the most wonderful, great literary classic in the world without a marketing plan behind it, then it's actually worthless to them. And the, the timing was quite good with Paper Dolls, wasn't it? I'm trying to think because it was like just coming up to summer it and it's summer. kind of like the perfect, July, yeah. yeah, yeah, like pick up and read on the beach uh, kind of thriller. So, yeah, it's the good timing. I mean, you mentioned reviews there. Do you ever read? Yeah. Reviews? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not one of these people that goes, oh, I don't read the reviews. Of course I read the reviews. <laughs> and what? then a little part of your soul dies every time that you get a negative one. But well, yeah, because I remember you, you had so many good reviews for Paper Dolls, but there was one. I think you posted it on Facebook because there was <laughs> one. Was it someone called Maureen? I can't remember. Maureen! Maureen hates me. <laughs> this was neither, oh, what was it? This was neither scary nor a thriller. This was the worst book I've ever read and I will never buy anything from this author again. But you know what? Someone said to me that the negative reviews just make the other ones look real and not bots. So I thought, yeah, fair enough. But you know what? There is a lot of bad language in Paper Dolls. And as, as my sons keep telling everyone, there's lots of S-E-X and the C-word. So and they told everyone at the school gate, so that was great. Um, and so it's not everyone's cup of tea. And I, that's absolutely fine. I completely, I'm completely fine with that. Um, I got a terrible review for the lesson from someone that Amazon kept deleting its review. So it must have been really offensive <laughs> it was that bad. And eventually he posted this scaled down review saying, I keep trying to review this, but Amazon keep knocking it back. So I'll have to be calmer. He basically said, I'm cack-handed and have no idea what I'm talking about. And I've obviously never had any trauma in my life. But that was nice, hugs and kisses 
after meal. <laughs> you know, it's for, for every negative review normally, you know, you get you get lots of lovely feedback as well. And at the end of the day, of course, people write for other people. You're writing to entertain, aren't you? And if you've not done your job and you've not entertained, then it can be a, a bit disheartening. But otherwise, you just got to crack on, haven't you? I mean, God, when we were journalists, how many negative phone calls did you get every day yeah. saying that you were the gutter press from hell? And then how many amazing phone calls did you get from parents who you've helped fundraise for their kid to go to America to, you know, have life-saving treatment? So you just take it all, don't you, and you stride after a while. Yeah. You're never going to please everybody, are you? No, so. of course not. No. Yeah. And it's definitely not going to be everyone's cup of tea, isn't it? Um, and with that in mind, like the lesson, obviously you mentioned earlier, like, you know, the worry about that coming out because it was set in the <laughs> environment you were working in. Yeah. I mean, what was the reaction from... Well, firstly, from colleagues, but also from students, because it was quite scathing of students. I don't think they've read it because no one said anything to me. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, you know what? I don't think it was that scathing. It was a lot worse before I went through the editing process. No, I mean, I, I like I don't think it was that bad about students. I think it was it was scathing in terms of power imbalances. Mm and structures but in terms of students and student mentality and the pressures that students are under I felt like I was quite sympathetic um but I've never had any comeback so <laughs> that's a good thing and did uh, any had any like colleagues that you work with said like oh Lisa that's really spot on were you just writing exactly about us <laughs> yeah <laughs> there are a lot of meetings that people were really quiet when I came into the room <laughs> no one dare say anything anymore but no it was um yeah I got colleague wise I didn't get any any issues from bosses because I did worry a little bit you know when you're writing about writing books about you know lecturers sleeping with the students and what have you and coercive control you do worry that I thought they might think I was putting the university in a really bad light, but hopefully they saw it was all fiction. So that's good. Um, but yeah, no, other than no, no, absolutely no bad student reaction. And I did worry. I did like have a couple of sleepless nights about what it was going to be perceived as. But either they just haven't read it, which is probably the likelihood, or they just looked for the C words in the SEX. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what is your sort of next plan then because obviously you, you you've always got a book in mind haven't you at least one yeah. so so what's next for you then well I've just finished um my next manuscript which is called the gallows tree and this one is slightly slightly different to the others it's still a psychological thriller but it's a bit folky a bit wicker man and it's set in a in a village very much like my own um so I've sort of come away from career influences and and going for something a little bit different um, so yeah, that's uh, that's with my agent at the moment. So I'm waiting nervously and refreshing my emails all the time. Um, fingers, fingers crossed she likes it because um, I got a two book deal with Quercus for Paper Dolls and the Lessons. So I'm back to being a free agent now. So this book will go out again on submission, and uh, and fingers crossed my writing career is not over. But, um, but we'll see. And then, as is usual, I've have to start my fourth book now because if you sit there and wait, then the anxiety and the stress is horrendous. So, next week, when I've finished my marking pile, I'm going to start my fourth book. So let let's talk a little bit about like just the nitty gritty of that yeah. process of get getting a book deal. So do you, 
have you is it that because you've written this book but yeah. like at what stage are you kind of going with a synopsis an idea writing well it depends book? on the deal so loads of it used to be I think back in the sort of the olden days that once you got your first deal after that you were going with a synopsis and three sample chapters and getting a deal based on that now the majority of authors are writing their books out of contract because it's just the way that the industry has gone so for example paper dolls I'd written so what happens is uh, your agent will send out your your book to targeted editors with a sell and a pitch and then they will then read your book they will take it to the rest of their team because it's never just on one person's opinion um, if the rest of their team like it, it then goes to acquisitions where sales and marketing and everyone sit around the table and they discuss whether or not they think there's, you know, proper trajectory for it. And then they'll come back and if they like it, they'll make you an offer. So if you get a, a multiple book deal, that means for the next books, you don't have to write them in their entirety. You just have to do the synopsis. So for the lesson, I just had to give them a synopsis and I actually had to give them that synopsis when I got my book deal for Paper Dolls. So they offered me a two book deal, but they said, we need the idea for your other book though tomorrow. And I didn't have one, so I had to come up with it really, really quick. So that was a bit stressful. Um, and I got the two book deal on the basis that it'd be Paper Dolls and the lesson. And then um, after Paper Dolls was sorted, they had a look through the synopsis of the lesson said, yeah, off you go. And then obviously I delivered a completely different book, but they liked it anyway. Um, and now, like I say, now I'm out of that contract, I have to go back to square one. So the gallows tree has to be written in its entirety. So it can be, you know, it's nerve wracking and frustrating because that's a lot of work that could amount to nothing. Um, but sadly, it is just the way it's gone across all the publishing industry at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I think unless you're very, very famous, then unless you're Lee Child <laughs> then, or Stephen King, then unfortunately it's, uh, it's got to be the full manuscript these days. When you get that contract, I mean, I guess this is where the agent comes in, but what sort of things are you looking out for in the contract? Oh, I don't understand contracts. So um, when I first got the contract, well, the first, I got, I got, we got three offers for paper dolls from three different publishing houses. And it was a breakdown of royalties, translation rights, film and TV rights. Um, normally you get X amount of royalties for the first 500 copies and then a different amount of royalties for the next so-and-so copies. And then it's different for Audible. It's, well, some of them don't have Audible in it, and um, mine did. But um, yeah, it, it, for the different, for Kindle, for paperback, for hardback, for et cetera, et cetera. It's, um, it's really confusing. I didn't understand any of it. And then plus you've got normally an advance in there as well and your advance is taken against your royalties. So um, so I, we got the offers in from the three publishers and Joe was like, right, they're saying this and they're saying this and they're saying this. And I'm like, I don't understand any of this. This is all percentages that mean nothing to me. So she said, I'll just leave it with me. So she went off and negotiated a higher cut for me with royalties. Um, and she negotiated a, um, a lower threshold in terms of the number of books that needed to be sold before the increased royalties came in and all that kind of bits and pieces. And then she used the other offers as leverage for that as well, I think, because so-and-so had offered this and I'd got a three-book offer from another publishing company, but actually the advance was better from the one I went with. So, you know, there was all that sort of juggling around and then she negotiated with everybody and then we settled on Quirkus which was very exciting. But, um, and then you get the full contract to sign. 
And it was pages and pages and pages of stuff that I really, really, really still didn't understand. <laughs> but luckily, you know, your age, that's what your agent is there for, to make sure that you're getting the best possible deal long term for you. Yes. I mean, it would be so hard to navigate that on your own. You oh, wouldn't be able God. to do that without... No, and to be fair with publishers as well, I don't know a single publisher that will look at unsolicited manuscripts. So you have to have an agent anyway. Um, they won't they won't take submissions for you without one. So to be fair, the whole book journey is the first hurdle is getting your agent. That's the first thing that you've got to do. I did used to think that once I had an agent, it'd all be plain sailing and that an agent would pretty much guarantee you a book deal. That's absolutely not the case either. The first thing you need to do is get your first three chapters and your synopsis sent off to as many agents as you possibly can. You do not need to let people look at it one at a time. If that happens, you'd be waiting for centuries because they take ages to read, which you can imagine most agents get about a thousand submissions a month. So um, hopefully you get picked off the slush pile and then the agent will ask for a full manuscript based on your synopsis and first three chapters. After they've got the full manuscript, then they may choose to offer to represent you or they say, thanks, no thanks. It normally takes about six to eight weeks for that process from them first receiving it to the offer of representation coming through. Because I had a little bit of leverage because I was so lucky because my, um, I think Paper Dolls, no, not Paper Dolls, my first book um, that got, that didn't get a publishing deal. Um, I think after a week, one agent asked for the full manuscript. So I emailed all the other agents and just said, just to be professional, I just thought I'd let you know that I have had a request for the full. And then everyone wanted it because I think that, you know, they wait for that first person to jump. And then a day later, I'd already had two offers. And then four days later, I would have been taken off down to London to be courted at the Groucho Club and stuff, but which was very exciting, although I didn't go with them either. Um, but I do think that, you know, agents are a bit like sharks. <laughs> I adore mine. <laughs> She's not a shark. But I think they get a sniff of the blood and think, oh, God, someone wants that. I better get in there quick. So I think that can really help if you if I have one little bit of interest. All of a sudden, everyone wants to jump on board. And how how did you choose then which agent to was it kind of gut instinct? It was gut instinct. And I did agonize over it as well, because part of me really thought I should go with Curtis Brown because they're a huge agency. You know, they're one of the biggest in the world. Um, I'd done the course with them. I sort of felt like I owed it to them to go with them. But I went with Joe, who's at Anthony Howard. Firstly, because she was the first person to pick up the phone. A lot of these agents were just emailing me, but she actually rang me while I was on the school run. And she'd like gave me this whole critique of the entire book and why she loved it and what we'd do with it and what her plan was. And then um, she then offered to get on a train herself from London to Sheffield and take me out for lunch. So she actually made the effort to come all the way from London to come down and see me. And I thought, oh, she obviously really likes the book. And so that's why I wanted to go with her in the end, because I thought if she has a real passion for it, then she's going to want to see it do well. So, so yeah. And you know what? She was amazing because I do know that lots of agents probably would have ditched me when that book didn't sell. But instead, you know, she's always had my back and she's always really encouraged me. So I've, I've got, you know, a lot to thank her for. You've given us some fa fantastic tips there. Um, I just wonder, though, kind of to round off, whether you've got like a top tip for someone who's like never been published before, thinks they've got a good idea for a novel or in indeed they've written one. What would be your kind of tip for them to like getting that deal? The first thing you need to do is write the whole thing. Don't start writing your first three chapters and start trying to get an agent. It's never going to happen. The whole thing needs to be written. 
So even if you're writing utter rubbish and you hate what you're writing, just keep on going, keep on going, get to the 90,000 word sweet spot. That's how that's how long your book needs to be, really. Keep focused on it, get it done, and then spend all your time tarting up your first 10,000 words or first three chapters, whatever comes first, because that's what's going off to the agent. And you need to make it as gripping as possible. Um, your first chapter has to really have, like, like with journalism, you know, you're in, it's all about the intro. It's all about the first chapter. Don't spend ages setting the scene. You don't need loads of exposition or anything like that. You've got to get in there with a hook and an inciting incident and some sort of action that gives the reader an understanding of the style of this book and what it's all going to be about. Um, so you really, really do need to make those first three chapters as shiny as possible. Um, and then once you've got those first three chapters, I would say, you know, get those off to agents with your synopsis. Don't say anywhere in your synopsis or your covering letter, oh, my friends and mum love it. Because <laughs> um, I was told that the first, if, if you say that, any agent will just delete your email or put it in the bin straight away. Um, do think about the comparable market. So if you think that it is like, because again, publishing is a business. So if you think that your book is like, something in particular or mixed between something um I think paper dolls what was paper dolls described as it was a bit like Elisa Jewell meets CJ Tudor so it was a bit of a think about the, the your writing style and who it's like and, and pitch yourself like that so the agent knows exactly what it is you're going for and um and just make your synopsis compelling you don't have to hide your twists or spoilers to the agent you know they want to know how well it is how well but they don't have time to sit and read the whole book in minute detail so give it everything you've got and make that package the best it can possibly be. Um, and then get those out. And while you're waiting for them, because it will be six to eight weeks while they read your first three chapters and decide whether or not they want to see the rest of the book, get working on the rest of the book and make it as beautiful and as shiny as those first three chapters. It's, it's really interesting. It really struck me when you were kind of going through that, how many transferable sort of skills there are from journalism, just being yeah. able to kind of, grab the interest at the beginning and yeah I think it's probably quite Absolutely. useful for our journalism listeners to kind of hear that you know there are there's so many skills that they have that can transfer into writing into writing novels so yeah it seems like a really excellent place to finish thank you so much Lisa for joining us today that was I mean you can tell that you know you teach that's what you do because there's, there's so many practical <laughs> so much practical <laughs> advice in there it's brilliant and um, and yeah, we can't wait to see what, what you do next. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. I always love to talk about writing, so. Yeah, thank you so much. Just for our listeners to know, they can find out more about us and all our resources at freelancingforjournalists.com and can come and join our Freelancing for Journalists Facebook community. And we'll also put links in our show notes to Lisa's books and that course that she mentioned as well. Absolutely, yes. On social media, we are at Freelancing4 and you can follow us individually. I'm at Emma Journo. And I'm at Lily Cantor. And we also want to say thanks to our research assistant, Helen Quinn, and producer, Maddie Drury. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye for now. Bye.